Welcome to episode three of a Women's World Cup Home Companion on Backheel.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News. Here in lovely and scenic Edmonton, Alberta, and I actually mean that this time around. High up on the banks of the North Saskatchewan River uh, on a lovely sunny summer evening. Uh, we've taken the show outdoors, which is nice. It gives it a little less background noise and also allows us to be out in the sunshine for a bit. And we, it's not just myself, but uh, one of Canada's preeminent soccer writers, Steve Sandor of Sportsnet and the 11.ca, and one of, well, I don't know if he's preeminent at many things, but he is preeminent at podcasting, Thomas Floyd uh, of Goal.com, who's made the long trip from our, his and my, nation's capital, Washington, D.C., to be here in Edmonton. Uh, we can't call it open wide for some Women's World Cup because the title of the show is already spoken for. Nonetheless, glad to have you out here. Thanks for having me. That is a little disappointing that we couldn't make the title work out, but I'll accept it and move on. And, and Steve, uh, it's great to, to see you uh, again. Uh, to be in your town, you're, of course, one of the great champions of the city of Edmonton on Twitter. And uh, I know you've fought against those of your countrymen who believe the city is boring, and so far I'm on your side because I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah, so, well, the weather's been good, which is, which is nice because it hasn't been good for the entire Women's World Cup as, with some of the weather delays we've seen in Edmonton. But, uh, yeah, it's a very different city, I think, than maybe some of the other ones you've seen and the, on the voyages. And I know for a lot of people visiting this country, they're starting to understand just how big this country is flying back and forth across the country. And, boy, do I feel sorry for the Australians because I think that their, their draw has given them the most distance traveled out of anybody considering even how long it takes to get here in the first place for them. And now off to Moncton after being in Edmonton and then from Winnipeg, they're just zipping around the country, hours, flights, and all over the place. Well, one of the things that the United States got rewarded with for winning their group was instead of having to fly from Vancouver to Moncton, which would have been five time zones, they only had to fly uh, Vancouver to Edmonton, which is about 90 minutes, and certainly spared all of us in the press box a lot of headache at having to rebook flights and hotels in the last minute and so on and so forth. We're going to run through the round of 16 games, uh, a stacked set of contests. I'm excited about all of them, as I know a lot of people are. Uh, and let's begin with the heavyweight battle on Saturday between Germany and Sweden and Ottawa. These teams have already met twice this year in the Algarve Cup, uh, and they were both high-scoring contests. Sweden uh, won the group stage contest. Germany took the rematch. 4-2 the first game, 2-1 the second in Germany's favor. Uh, I wrote on philly.com, and it'll be uh, in uh, the paper on Friday, about how you know, Pia Sundhaga's contract expires next year, and it sure sounded when we were listening to her in Winnipeg like if they didn't make it out of the group stage, uh, she might walk now. And... They backed into the round of 16. I don't think there's any question about it. They got very lucky because of the results uh, with Spain and South Korea and Costa Rica and Brazil. But now that they're here, Steve, uh, they do have Lota Shalin, who we're still waiting to see score a goal in this tournament. Uh, and I know that Germany's not going to take them lightly. It's a matchup of two of the top four teams in the world in the round of 16. Hard to argue against that. I tell you, I think Sweden is still the team that, uh, despite them backing into the round of 16, where the most disappointing team of the tournament so far. They're still, I think, holding that title. And Pia, Pia Sundhag, when she was here in Edmonton after that draw with Australia, and it looked very much like Sweden was going to go home, uh, that they needed a lot of results to go their way. You know, she was saying, I don't know in terms of going forward as the coach of the Swedes. 
Uh, they get a reprieve. I think it's always dangerous when you have that team that has got reprieve after reprieve that you know is better than they've played. But, man, I, I have been stunned by some of their defensive problems. I think you saw them against the States where they didn't give up anything. But in the other two games, some of the goals they've given up have been just been horrible. Uh, against Australia, route one, right down the middle, the first couple minutes of the game, and they fall asleep and they get burned on it. Uh, against Nigeria, to, to give up the leads. I don't care what you say about Nigeria being the African champion, what have you. When you're a team with the pedigree of Sweden, you blow the leads that they had and with the goals that they gave up. Uh, simple, simple plays. Uh, I'm stunned by how bad they've been on the back end. As for Germany, Thomas, they blew the Ivory Coast's doors off. That was not entirely surprising. And we all said, well, we're not really sure if that's the real test. Lo and behold, they go out and get held by Norway to a 1-1 tie. They beat uh, Thailand 4-0. Game, certainly Thailand, but not enough to no one's surprise. Uh, I wonder if we saw the real Germany in that Norway game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this fairly easy group schedule for them outside of that Norway game actually uh, plays to their detriment because they'll be playing a Sweden team that, despite the struggles we've been discussing, went through a tough group, have tested themselves, have seen what it's like to have their backs against their against the wall, and now they go into the knockout round uh, a more tested team, whereas Germany, again, aside from the one game against Norway, hasn't really had the sweat in this tournament. And I think that can be dangerous when you go into the knockout rounds having just cruise through most of the group stage and you're playing a team that had the fight to get their spot and play much tougher opposition. Second game on Saturday here in Edmonton. I suspect that all three of us will probably be there because the winner is going to play perhaps the United States in the quarterfinal uh, because of how the bracket lays out. China and Cameroon, 730 uh, on Fox Sports 1, CTV, RTS, RDS 2. That first game, by the way, Germany, Sweden, also on Fox Sports 1, Telemundo as well. Fox Sports 1 with all of the games in the round of 16 on TV in the U.S. Cameroon, one of the Cinderella's of the tournament. I'm a college basketball guy, as Thomas knows, so I can't help using that phrase. Um... But here on Merit, first African team to advance out of the group stages since, I believe, 1999. Finished second in the group. Showed some spunk, showed some vigor. Gave Japan a run for their money. And I don't see why they wouldn't do the same for China. Honestly, I think uh, Gabrielle Angene, who is uh, their forward, number seven, is might be the, the player we talk about the most from this tournament in terms of, wow, where did she come from? And who is she? Uh, that they she has been absolutely a joy to watch and and I think in Edmonton they're going to have a bit of a home advantage. There's a huge Cameroonian community here. They were stunned in the last game when they played the Swiss. How many people came out? Uh, and there were actually less people here for the Sweden Australia game because all the Cameroonians left after the Cameroonian Switzerland game. And so I think they're going to have that boost. Uh, the Chinese are very organized. They play a very decent short passing game. As long as they're not trying to play to choke off their opponent, which is deadly to watch. But uh, the Cameroonians, with the speed and the physicality of their game, and just that, I don't know, that boost. I think they're everyone's second favorite team. You know, the team that where the country you're from, and then Cameroon. They've become everyone's darling. And again, I think Anjanae is a wild card, and I wouldn't be surprised if Cameroon go through. We didn't know too much about China coming into the tournament because they'd fallen off from where they used to be. And certainly everybody's going to talk about a potential U.S.-China matchup in the quarters. But 
they look pretty respectable. They, you know, obviously they tried to choke Canada's offense off. It worked. Um, I think that they will probably try to do the same thing against Cameroon, or at least it wouldn't surprise me. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what what China does in this knockout round game against uh, a very strong Cameroon team, someone that uh, we weren't really talking about going into the World Cup and have kind of taken this mantle of, like uh, Stephen said, everyone's second favorite team. And uh, that's that's the sense I've gotten just in the Twitter Twitter sphere. Wow. I'm getting over a cold, so if I can't talk sometimes, uh, take it easy on me. And, uh, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how China approaches this matchup where, you know, there, there might be a sense of overconfidence because they're uh, more of a perennial power going up against, you know, the upstart team. But, you know, Cameroon is dangerous. And, uh, you know, if they, if they take, take it easy at any point, this is a team that we know can punish them. To Sunday. Brazil, Australia, and Moncton. Steve, you talked about the large distances that Australia has to travel. But I'm throwing the upset flag on this game and picking Australia because I think they've got a shot to win it. You know what? I'm, I'm with you on this one. I think the Brazilian team, they may have passed their peak. Uh, it's hard to judge them based on the group that they were in because it wasn't necessarily the toughest group. And Australia, let's face it, I think everyone had thought they're going to be the best team to go home when they first saw the group of death that Australia is going to be the undeserved team that doesn't make it. And guess what? They more than held their own, looked very good against Nigeria, had moments where they looked very good against the United States, uh, and had moments where they looked very good against Sweden. Uh, this is a team that I think is exceptionally young. The, uh, the core of their players are in the 20, 21-year-old group. And that's that group that's almost too young to be scared too young to sort of know where they they should be and that's what makes them dangerous and i i'm with you on this i think i think australia could could pull it off thomas the biggest question with brazil obviously is going to be can marta do it alone um nobody would put it past her right but australia's got so much speed you know what do you have the upset in this game too i do and it's uh you know maybe it's a a bit of a recency thing and still remembering that U.S.-Australia game and how how strong Australia looked for the first 45 minutes and for some stretches in the second half as they really took it to the U.S. and they were a team without fear. They were a team with a lot of individual talent and the ability to knock the ball around and maintain possession. And Brazil, in this in this uh, pretty easy group, weren't really tested and that they do rely very heavily on Marta and a bit of an aging team as well, and you do wonder if this is a, a Brazil team that is maybe a year or two past the point where they really would have been a dangerous contender for this title, whereas Australia is just hitting its stride right now in this tournament. That's at 1 o'clock Sunday, Fox Sports 1, Telemundo, a bunch of TSN channels. I've lost count, Steve, of how many there are at this point. And RDS 2, 4 o'clock, Fox Sports 1, Telemundo, CTV, RDS 2, France, South Korea. In Montreal, I hope, and I know we've got a lot of listeners to this program in Montreal, I hope there's a lot of people at that game. I'd like to think that it's a matchup that can draw some people out. Um, I'd like to think that France will win it, but then again, I thought they were going to beat Colombia too. And we have seen when France takes a team lightly, they can get beaten. I think France wins this game, 
but it's not going to quiet any of the questions that people have about whether this French team has the mental strength to go all the way. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that them losing to Colombia might have been the best thing that happened to them. I think it's one of those things where they learned a lesson early on in this tournament about taking teams lightly, and I think it might be the thing where they've had that banana skin and they got it out of the way and it ended up not hurting them at all. And I think it actually might make them a more dangerous team going down the road. I, I see this as being a walk. I, I don't see the French really being troubled in this game. But uh, you, you never know. Uh, the French women are a little bit like the French men where you just really are not 100% sure how together they are at any time. But at the same time on talent, I mean, John Herdman, the Canadian coach, has said, like, let's face it, the French are the best team in the world right now. And he said that everyone knows it. I mean, the rankings are what they are, but the French are the favorite for this tournament. They still are the favorite for this tournament. And I, I, if they went out the round of 16, it would be a stunner. I don't think France is going to walk over South Korea, although I do think they'll beat them. And the reason why is that the U.S. didn't play South Korea in its send-off game for the purpose of playing to a scoreless draw. But South Korea, to their credit, frustrated the U.S. quite a bit. I think they're going to do the same to France, even if they're going to, even if I think they're going to lose. Yeah, I have a similar sentiment. The South Korea, they're very technical. They're very organized. It's a well-coached team. And they know how to play against a heavy favorite. That said, France, I do think, ultimately, will have too much talent in the end to uh, to a to get knocked out at this point, and I think they'll move on. But I agree that South Korea will put up a bit of a fight, and they're the type of team that could even force extra time, or, or, and then at that point, maybe you, you get the game to PKs. I think that's a situation that South Korea could use this uh, their ability to hold the ball and absorb and uh, help uh, absorb pressure that way by maintaining their own, own stretches of possession they can do that and just keep France off the ball, keep them out there attacking third, they might have a chance to stretch this game out and maybe get it to PKs where anything could happen. 7.30 Sunday night, Steve. A lot of pressure in the air in BC Place when Canada plays Switzerland. Fox Sports 1, Telemundo, CTV, RDS 2. I threatened on Twitter to throw the upset flag on this game and pick Switzerland. And I knew that it was going to generate a reaction, and it did. But I also said, in fact, I'm throwing the upset on Canada-Switzerland, and I didn't say which team would pull the upset off. Switzerland's really good. They blew it against Cameroon, but they're going to give Canada a heck of a game. I, you know, Canada, if you look at it, I mean, I think we're all looking at it, at the results. You'd say, well, they got that penalty, whatever you think about it, in in extra time against China. You'll say, New Zealand missed a penalty that could have beat Canada in the second game. Uh, and again, Canada, after they came out like in Barnstormers in Montreal, the first 20 minutes dominated the Dutch and then fell off. And then after that, the Dutch created the majority of the chances. And we're not sure really where to place this Canada team. We know they're not offensively a powerhouse that if they're going to win, they have to beat you 1-0. But I tell you, Switzerland, the one thing I think Cameroon exposed to everyone is you can really beat this team on the wings. They, if, you, if, you, if Switzerland can keep the ball inside... They're okay. But if you force them into a running game where you're stretching them down the wings, and this is where I think the Canadian fullbacks are going to be maybe the most important part of this game uh, with, with Chapman and Belanger, they are going to be the two most important players because I think the Swiss are really weak on the outside. And if you can run them, you can beat them. That may be. But Canada's midfield has had some issues in this tournament, in part because of Diana Matheson, 
uh, not being there, in part because Jesse Fleming sort of had to be eased into things a little bit. Whenever I see Christine Sinclair at the halfway line, as I did multiple times in the group stage, Tom, it's a problem, and it's a big problem. And Sinclair's a great player. Ramona Bachman is also a great player. <laughs> and I think that she's going to – I think that Bachman, whether or not Switzerland wins the game, I think what Bachman does might have the final say here. Yes, this is going to be a, a huge challenge for Canada. And Switzerland, as you were saying, is an extremely talented team. This isn't going to be a pushover. And I, I do think this might be a situation where someone like a Christine Sinclair just takes it next level, knockout round of the World Cup on home turf – in front of that crowd. In a very literal sense, because she's from British Columbia and she loves playing in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of my, uh, that's what I think might happen here. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it might just be kind of a, an emotional pick, but I think Canada, you know, they could find their stride in the knockout rounds and uh, after maybe working through the kinks in the group stage and really use this home field to make a deep run. So we get to Monday. 5 o'clock Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1, NBC Universo, the various TSN networks, and RDS. England versus Norway. Steve, I'm sure you listen to uh, Backheel's shows, including Soccer Morning, every now and again. You know it is our standing policy to bash the English whenever possible. Uh, so I'm going to do it again here and say that this is the least appealing game of the eight in the round of 16. Well, yeah, and I mean, we're, we know Evan Pellerud, the coach of Norway, really well. He's the former coach of Canada. Uh, we know his style. He's route one all the way. So you're going to see England not score against Norway, bombing the ball down the pitch with their famous 8-0-2 formation that Evan Pellerud made famous with Canada. I say that facetiously, but not really. Uh, that uh, Norway is just going to be physical, and they're going to try to wear down the English. The English will have a lot of the ball and not score. And I see this one going to penalties and nobody winning. <laughs> Well, if it goes to penalties, I think it's Norway's got it in the bag, don't they? I, I could imagine this scenario where, what, they, they miss just every kick for like 15, 16 in a row, and then everyone just takes off. No, uh, you know, I, I, it won't be the most aesthetically pre- pleasing game. I do think Norway will get it done in the end. Uh, they have a couple players capable of those individual moments, and that's probably what's going to take in a game like this, where there's not going to be much flow, there's not going to be much possession. It's just going to be... Route one soccer, and uh, I think they have the the players it takes to to get that result. Eight o'clock Monday, the United States and Colombia. The United States is favored overwhelmingly for a lot of reasons, some of which I've written about uh, in the Friday editions of the Inquirer uh, and on Philly.com. One of them is that their defense so far has been sensational. One goal allowed in three group stage games. They are coming up, Tom, I'm going to start with you this time, against a Colombian team that, much like Cameroon, is a Cinderella. They've played free-spirited soccer. They've been having a lot of fun. I sort of think we might have seen the best of Colombia at this point. Um, but, and I don't, I don't think the U.S. is going to take them lightly, but I do think that there is going to be an expectation that the U.S. plays with a little more looseness in this game, which may sound counterintuitive for a knockout game. I realize that. But I'm listening on Thursday to Christy Rampone and Carly Lloyd as, as they were chatting with the reporters. They've said, okay, we've got the defensive solidity now. Now it's time to turn it on an offense and really show what they can do, and they had better. 
And I think this game will, will play to their favor in that regard because Colombia, they'll come to play. And a lot of teams don't do that against the U.S. And this takes me back to something Sidney LaRue told reporters uh, back in New York on Media Day was that when, when they played uh, Mexico in the send-off game, in one of their send-off games, Mexico came to play, and Mexico got a goal, but it's ended up being, I believe, a 5-1 result. And that's, uh, that's the type of thing that might happen here, because if you go into a game thinking you... If you're the underdog and you go into a game thinking you can play with the U.S., that you can go at them, you know, it, it might be a little naive on Colombia's part. And uh, I like the, the spirit of that team and, the, and uh, the attacking vigor they've played with. But if they play like that against the U.S., which I expect they will, it's a team that I think the U.S. could kind of tear apart, especially we might see Lauren Holiday finally get enough time on the ball to really pick out passes and spray the ball around the field the way she's capable of. We might see the forwards get the opportunities they haven't thus far. You might see the fullbacks, Klingenberg and Krieger, really bombing forward and finding space on the overlap. And this is the type of game where I just think uh, we might see the U.S. really break out in the way we haven't seen thus far in this World Cup. And I would hope that we see Alex Morgan 90 minutes in this game. If we do, I think that greatly enhances the Americans' odds of winning. Steve, your friends who sit across the field at Clark Stadium from you in the supporters' section are going to be queuing up the Imperial March because the Empire is in town. Uh, and here come, here come the Americans, here come the American fans to storm your city and uh, drain your bars and pubs of all of their beer and so on and so forth. Uh, so I suspect that the folks around here will be rooting for Columbia, won't they? Um, I, I, I don't necessarily know. I think there's going to be a lot of Americans here. Uh, you know, Canadians, we love to, uh, we love to see the Americans lose, except we love to go to Hawaii and Texas and Florida and California. And, and for the Vancouverites, I know they love the tax-free shopping in Portland because they do a lot of it. Oh, yeah, we, we, we love it there. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been to the States in the last 12 months, so I'm going to, you know, I can count the times I've been, uh, to, to the States. So, I mean, obviously we have this, this little bit of a love-hate thing. I mean, honestly, it's it's really for the Canadian fan. It's about two players that they don't like. The other the others are all fine. There's no there's no issue. It's it's the Abby Wambach and then the ultimate of the darkest evils of this tournament, Sydney Larue, who is all of evil rolled into one human being possible. So you know that 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 uh, antagonism will be saved. She's ready for it. She's she can handle it. And uh, she got booed in Vancouver pretty loudly, by the way. And it, yeah, and and you know, honestly, there's good. There was probably a bigger American contingent there than might be in Edmonton. So any more of the Canadian contingent uh, will likely boo even louder. But at the same time, I, I look at Columbia is the outlier team. If you look at them statistically, they play a lot of low percentage soccer. They've got away with it. Uh, you know, they've they've done some nice things. But if you look at their possession numbers or shot numbers. They're getting outplayed in every game, and they're getting away with some spectacular plays at one end and getting lucky. They've been getting, they're the, you know, statistically, if you're one of the stat geeks, you're saying, this is the outlier example, folks. Statistically, this team shouldn't be where it is. And these things tend to come home to roost. I think if the Americans score early in this game, like in the first 15 minutes, get a goal, settle things down, and snuff out all hope, this could be ugly. It may not be open wide for some soccer, Tom, but we've got him in the mood pretty well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. It's been, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited, though, for this game. This is, this is my first uh, experience here in the Women's World Cup, and uh, you know, I, do, I do think it's going to be, I don't think it'll be the most competitive game, but hopefully we get a good atmosphere up here. 
And there'll, there'll, I, I think the U.S. will win. I think everybody thinks the U.S. will win. And I know I'm biased. I'm sure Tom is too because we're both from the East Coast. There's an awful lot of people in Washington and Philadelphia and New York, Boston, so on and so forth, who are going to be itching to book it for Ottawa as soon as they win that game. And they'll be there. They've already, I think they've already sold that quarterfinal out. Uh, and you can bet that they'll be in Montreal in enormous numbers if there's a semifinal there down the road against France or Germany. The last game of the round of 16, Tuesday night, 10 o'clock Eastern time. I guess we'll be in Ottawa by that point, so we'll have to stay up late. Um, Japan and the Netherlands. I wrote uh, in the Friday Inquirer and on my blog that Japan, as they did four years ago, has been playing some of the most stylish soccer in the tournament. They possess the ball very well, but they've not been doing very much with it. They're 10th in shots taken in the tournament. They've got 39. Germany is at number one with 92. The U.S., by the way, behind Japan at 38. I just wonder if the Dutch score early, Steve, Japan's going to have to wake up a little bit and finally do something with all this possession of the ball. I don't necessarily think the Dutch will score early. I think they might take a page out of the the men's book from 2010 because Japan are sort of like the Spain or what Spain was, the one nothing route, which I call the one nothing route because it's we only beat you one nothing like Spain used to, but we have 80% of the ball. We don't allow a shot on goal because we have the ball the entire game. And it's almost like we score the one and then we just pass it around. And if we're threatened, maybe we'll worry about it again. But I think the Dutch are going to try to foul, 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 disrupt, foul, foul. Try to slow this game down. If the, Try to disrupt the Japanese. And that's the way to beat them. The way to beat them, unfortunately, I'm going to sound like Mr. Negative. Here I was slamming Norway a while ago in England, but... You gotta kick them. You you gotta be dirty. You gotta not be afraid to take a few cards. The way to unseat the Japanese is disrupt their rhythm. I think the Dutch may have a chance there. There, I, I I don't see it as lopsided as maybe a couple of the other games in the group where the power teams are playing. But I think the Dutch are going to need some some exceptional performances uh, from Medima. She's got to do pull something out of the air, and then maybe maybe if they can disrupt the Japanese. But I think the Japanese are a team that you feel that they flick the switch. And then they turn it off and they coast. They coast because they hold the ball so much. Well, that, that's the thing. Look, I think Japan's going to win the game. But I also think the Dutch have in Medima a player who, if Japan turns the switch off, she can wake him up. Yeah, and uh, the Netherlands, you know, they've had their moments in the group stage. And, and Japan, you know, never looked overly convincing, especially in that you know, the the last game against, you know, an Ecuador team that everyone else in the group really had their way with, and uh, Japan kind of had a little underwhelming victory there, and yeah, the, it, it will be interesting to see if uh, these uh, low-scoring re- results for Japan continue throughout the knockout round, if they can string together those one nothing uh, results, or if, uh, to take it back to that metaphor with the Spain team, if we're at the point where teams are figuring out... Uh, how to defend that, how to play against teams like that, and we might see you know uh, some tough moments for Japan the same way we saw that, that Spain team last summer uh, struggle. I'll, I'll close with one more off-the-field question to each of you, and, and first to Steve. Um, what's the buzz been like? We've heard, those of us who are up here from the States, we've been traveling 
by and large with the U.S. fan base. They aren't in Edmonton yet, but everywhere we've been, there's been tens of thousands of fans and so on and so forth. So we've really felt, those of us who've been up here from the start, like we've been in the thick of it. But you look around some of the other cities. Moncton was one example. Uh, Montreal has had some issues, although they drew a big crowd for the Canada game. And that, as I've said many times, Montreal is an event town. You have to convince them that it's an event before they show up. And the Canada game certainly was. It sounds like in Edmonton, and just from walking around the streets, seeing the signs all over the place and stuff like that, the people are paying attention. But what do you think? You know, I have a mixed opinion on this. Obviously, being Canadian, it was it's a great source of national pride that you're hosting these things. And we've been given a lot of tournaments from FIFA, you know, and the feeling always has been is that they've been setting us up for 2026. And, you know, now whether that, whether that happens or not, because a lot of FIFA people who've been saying, you know, you do this, pull this off, you'll get 2026, are now, like, being investigated. So we were probably talking to the wrong people. Uh, I, I, I was going to try really hard over the course of this show to avoid bringing up what is one of your and my favorite subjects, which is the comings and going of traffic sports. But now that you've done it, I will only say that in terms of the votes, if the vote were conducted at this table as to where 2026 would be held, you would be outnumbered two to one. I th- I, I don't agree because I think no matter what the Americans do, Asia and and uh, and Africa will never vote. And you still, let's face it, Sepp Blatter would win presidency today because as much as the corruption, and we shouldn't get too much into it, but the problem is is until UEFA and the people behind the investigation reach out and understand why Africa and Asia hate and Oceania hate UEFA so much and will always will back whatever official will stop UEFA and stop the states from doing what they want to do. And until they do that reach out to understand why did, why did we put up with corruptions for so long, and why are the Asians and Africans so okay with it? We'll never get to the end of it. The buzz here in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, and, and it sounds like there has been some there. There has been a feeling that Canada hasn't done enough. The cities, not talking about the stadiums per se, but there's been no sort of big entertainment in the squares or that there's been an, or, or there's been an attempt to get journalists into the downtowns. I think a lot of like Canadian cities are a lot like American cities. The stadiums aren't downtown. They're in outlying areas. A lot of the journalists... Some are staying downtown. Some media organizations can't afford to have their journalists downtown. They're sending them to the outlying areas. So they're not seeing the best parts of the cities. They're disappointed from what they're seeing because they're not feeling the buzz. They're not feeling that sense of, wow, there's a big event going on. It seems like everyone's going about their normal everyday lives and there just happens to be a soccer game going on in the evening. Whereas I think, you know, when you expect a World Cup, you expect maybe city, the city hall areas or the downtown squares are shut down with fan zones and things like that. And there just hasn't been that. I do feel that as a Canadian, and I'm saying this, that I think we've fallen a little bit short as hosts. We've sort of said... The stadiums are there. Look, aren't they great? Yeah, you can get into town easy, great. But the the sort of, hey, do you want to come in for a drink or buy you a coffee sort of bit of hosting, we I think we dropped the ball on. It's interesting you say that. There was a lot of discussion about that in Winnipeg when, when I was out there. Um, and there was a columnist in the Winnipeg Free Press, and I actually wrote about this on my blog, which raised the attention of your colleague, Jared Peters, who also writes for the Free Press, and was one of his colleagues, Bartley Kives, who said, blame FIFA for the fact that there's no buzz downtown. And I turned right around and said, um, no, I'll blame your city of Winnipeg because Vancouver spent a million-plus dollars on making sure that their fan zone was open on the non-match days, and there's a buzz up there. Well, what a coincidence. 
No, and, and I absolutely agree. There's, blaming FIFA becomes a, a watchword for everything, and I think it's easy to blame FIFA for everything, but this, these, are, these are the responsibility of civic governments. It's the responsibility of the chambers of commerces of these cities. It's the responsibility if you have, we, in Edmonton, we have an economic development uh, group as well, to get on and say, look, uh, what can we do to make the city more welcoming? What can we do to tell businesses, restaurants, uh, all the facilities? Have a tele- get a television in, in Winston Churchill Square. All of these things. Um, for example, I, I was big because, again, at, you know, Commonwealth Stadium is not the nicest part of Edmonton. If you've been, it's in a bit of a rundown area. Uh, it's a big, giant stadium that's, that sits in an area that's not necessarily the best. Uh, if you're not staying downtown, you're not seeing the best of Edmonton, why not have, a, like, shuttle buses that can take journalists? You want to go for lunch downtown? Go to the nicer areas of town because this, this city has a lot of great areas. But I think like Winnipeg, you don't see those areas. You don't go to the Forks in Winnipeg. You don't go to the River Valley in Edmonton. We, we went to the Forks, I think, because it was one of the only things we could find to do. Um, the, the Americans both at home watching on television and up here in Canada need no invitation time. The Women's World Cup is big business back home, and we have seen that from the television figures on Fox, not only for the U.S. game drawing in the millions, but so many of the games not involving the United States, drawing 600, 700, 800,000 people, even a million people for the Germany Ivory Coast game. Um, that's tremendously good news, I think, for women's soccer. And also just the anecdotal evidence of social media that I've seen. It's just uh, everyone's talking about it. I have people who you know haven't spoken to me really about soccer or anything uh, since the Men's World Cup uh, last summer bringing up the Women's World Cup and asking me questions about the U.S. team and asking me questions about the Canadian team and the Japanese team. And they want to they learn about these teams. They want to embrace this tournament. And you get the sense that this is an event that continues to grow in the American landscape. Well, fellas, this has been great. Our dinner's here. We've let it sit, <laughs> sit for half the time we've been on air. We should do something about that. Uh, this has been fun. And thanks again to you all for listening. Uh, for Steve Sander, and Thomas Floyd, I'm Jonathan Tannenwald, and this has been Episode 3 of A Women's World Cup Home Companion on Backhill.com.